Hi, before we get started on the podcast today, I want to let you know that there's a virtual Listen to My Life group starting September 10th that you can join in on. It is a fantastic experience. You'll be led through by myself, Sharon Swing, along with co-author Sybil Towner and our Director of Facilitator Development, Joan Kelly. And you'll be joined by people from all over the country or all over the world, um, going through Listen to My Life together. You'll find out more information at onelifemaps.com. That's O-N-E-L-I-F-E-M-A-P-S.com. We're also doing another facilitator certification workshop in the Chicago area in mid-November. You'll find out more information on the website at onelifemaps.com as well. We sure hope you'll join us. It's a fantastic experience. Now, here's the podcast for today. Welcome to the One Life Maps podcast. Here's your host and co-author of Listen to My Life, maps for recognizing and responding to God in my story, Sharon Swing. Greetings, this is Sharon Swing, and I am once again excited to have our guest, Karen Maines, with us today, along with Sybil Tanner. Karen, can you say hello? Hello, hello. And hello to everyone. And that was Sybil, and um, today we're going to be talking about listening groups. Mm -hmm. And there are these interesting almost strange anomaly of how to gather people. And um, I come from an organization development background, so I have a lot of group dynamics. And so the first time I heard about it out of your blog, and I'm trying to remember which friend told me about it as well and said, hey, we got to go do this. And so right here where we're sitting in in uh, the Maine's home, um, around this particular table is where my group met uh, uh, at that point in time. And it was just at the very beginning of you experimenting with this. So, Karen, can you define for us what is a listening group, first of all? Well, it, it was truly an experiment. <laughs> Sybil and I tried, were trying to reconstruct how they, hap- how they began. To define a listening group, it would be just basically a, a meeting of, of people with a group architecture, I call it, a group mm-hmm. architecture that makes sure they really do listen to one another, just not talk about listening yes. to one another. So that's about the closest I can come to a definition. Um, it would be a group. I don't know that we use this uh, particular word, but... Um, that we're going to come present, mm-hmm. present to God mm-hmm. and present to one another. And, uh, and I think it did incorporate the, um, uh, we were committed to not fixing mm-hmm. or rescuing or... Uh, well, you couldn't, you couldn't do that no. because of the architecture of the group. So let me just, just so yeah. say something about what architecture means. Yeah. Um, most many small groups are dangerous places for people, mm-hmm. and you generally have um, one person who talks too much, and then the couple silent people who don't talk very much. Or you do have things like someone will talk about their problem and or their problems, and then someone will rush in and with advice. Or if they cry, they'll in a Christian group often go over and uh, give a little sermonette or maybe. Um, stop the process of telling, of that person telling by saying, well, let me pray for you and put your arm around them. And all of that is fine in its, in some, most of it is fine in itself, but it does stop the, the communication process. So we set up an architecture, and this came out of the book, um, Group Spiritual Direction by Sister Mary Rose Doherty. Doherty. 
And um, so we just, when we had read that book, we decided to um, try the formula that she had um, devised. I have problems sometimes with defining what something is for, giving it too too narrow a definition, Mm -hmm. because I think things sometimes want to go in other directions. So we didn't call it a group spiritual direction exercise. Mm -hmm. We just called it a listening group. And we were really feeling our way, but we Mm -hmm. did have her model. So we used a lot of her model, um, which was very helpful. Essentially, it was three to four people, no more. Most of the time, they didn't know one another, although that was a requirement, was not a requirement, except as I went on with the group, I think it was better when people did not know one another. Mm -hmm. And didn't know other people they knew. Yeah, right. So it was a group of strangers for that most part, maybe some slight familiarity between them, but basically it was strangers. Three to four, they would meet once a month. Uh, There was no homework required, no reading (laughs) required. (laughs) How easy can it get? And then uh, we generally went for two and a half hours Mm -hmm. um, in, in listening. So to prevent all of the um, odd things that can happen in small groups, there was a strict ar- architecture that we stuck with. You do need a skilled facilitator, and we did try to teach other people how to do this and discovered that... Uh, it's very hard. It's not as easy as it seems. We're just natural at, mm-hmm. at it because we do it so much. But um, you do need someone, a facilitator, and that person also can be a, a, a part of the member of, of the listening group too. But if time is going long, then I would not share during mm-hmm. that time, just to make sure everyone would share. So we would start by going into silence. And, um, you know, people come from all kinds of things. They're has- hassled. They're busy. They're trying to get here in time. They've got stuff they try to do at home or at work. And this met during the day or in the evening. It didn't matter. And I would generally give that about 10 minutes, 7 to 10 minutes, and then say to the group who's ready to share. And whoever was ready to share would begin to speak. And basically, they would share what was out of their life, what was going in their Mm -hmm. life, on in their life. And they generally went for 10 to 15 minutes. Um, And then no one was allowed to interrupt them, and no one was allowed to um, ask questions or to seek for clarification. Then we would go back into silence again until I felt like we had... um, reached a point of silence. And what happens in that silence is people think about what they've heard. And the only way we could respond after the second silence, after the first person had shared, was with questions. This was the hardest part. (laughs) People are not good at asking questions. And so we tried to teach that when you feel that little nodding on the inside of you that very likely could be the Holy Spirit nudging you, to ask a certain question. Now, the the person who had just shared didn't have to answer all the questions, but I never saw anyone say, I don't feel comfortable answering, ask, mm-hmm. a- answering that question. Mm-hmm. Question, again, would come out of the group of the people who had not spoken, and that would be three to four people. Right, and part of the rule was to, to not ask a question out of curiosity. Yes, thank to you. To ask the question yeah. for the benefit of the person who had just spoke so that they might be able to observe themselves. And yeah. I think what was what is so unique 
it's it's almost hard to state it because mm-hmm. of the fact that there is no curriculum for this other than the, <laughs> right. the lives of the people that show up. Right. It's not a Bible study. Yeah. It's not anything. There was nothing to prompt. It's not a prayer group to, either. You know. it, it, there was nothing to prompt what people would would choose to talk about. Yeah. And sometimes I would drive in the driveway and I'm thinking, hmm. I wonder what'll come out today. Yeah. You know, and, and and just this, but in that opening silence to be able to ask the Holy Spirit, what's most important for me to mm-hmm. talk about today? Yeah. And then also what I thought was so absolutely profound about how you trained us to ask those questions is basically assume it's our job to stay silent unless we sense the Holy Spirit yes. prompting us. Mm-hmm. So uh, that silent presence is as important as um, as making an observation or asking uh, what I would call an open-ended question, mm-hmm. one that is for them and, uh, and not for you. Mm-hmm. Right. And for me, as someone who has a background in organization development and is trained as a coach, you're, you're looking for the powerful question. Yeah. And... So what happened inside of me at that point in time was realizing how much ego was involved in in coming up with powerful questions. Mm-hmm. You know, like then I'm the one that's going to be most helpful here yeah, or whatever. Wow. You know, and and to realize that uh, that it's my job to get out of the way. Yeah. But yet my presence is somehow opening space for someone to listen to God, for God to do the work in the heart of another person. Right. And that only he can do. Exactly. That's like, you know, you get get over your your ego of thinking that you really have much to contribute other than your presence, right? (laughs) Which is actually just beautifully profound when you think about it. Yeah. So. Yeah. It, well, and, and then let me finish up the yes. architecture, but I, I do think we should come back and talk about the questioning process because it's such a significant part of this. But so when I sensed that the questions, enough questions had been given, then we would go back into silence again. So this entire process was was interwoven with silence. And the next person then would um, I, I would say, okay, we go back into silence and we'd be in silence a while. And then I'd say, Okay, who now is ready to share? And then that person would do the same thing, and then we'd go into silence when they were done, and the next person would share, and that was how we ended. In some groups, we did do a little debriefing afterwards. It wasn't anything I intended to do, but other people had used that technique, and I found it to be Mm -hmm. useful and good for the group as well to sort of debrief Mm -hmm. what they had experienced or questions they might have. Yes, so let's define the word debrief. Well, just what... uh, yeah, they would they would define more what they had thought about the things the, I thought about. Simple, go ahead. Yeah, the process. Yeah, the process. So, yeah. so in in a sense, um, uh, what we ask sometimes at the end of the maps: What was it like mm-hmm. to be listened to, mm. or what was it like to listen? Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and so you're getting at the feelings. Mm-hmm. And the experience of being in this kind of space. So you're mm-hmm. not reiterating what anyone has said. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and then out of that listening, you would hear something that would prompt a, a way of being or um, 
uh, a skill that was going mm-hmm. on at that point. Well, and they might say, I wanted so much to rush over when you were telling that hard story and yes. hold you in my arms. And then, you know, I would say, well, that's a wonderful feeling, and in other places you should do that. But here it's liable to cut off our sharing time, mm-hmm. what right. that person has to say. Or they may forget, actually, where they were mm-hmm. going, or it takes it into another direction. Or it tells that person, I can't handle your yeah. emotion, the speaker's emotion. Yeah, I've got to stop this now. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, as a listener, I can't take your emotion, so yeah. I hand you a tissue or I yeah. come over and, uh, and, and, and touch you. Hold your you hand or, or yeah, something. Like. But you become more aware of the way you are with each other mm-hmm. Um, in a setting, so that so that the, what the process reveals is exactly what you and the debrief allows to come forward. I wanted to go over. Mm-hmm. Then you can ask the deeper question. Okay, where did you learn that? Mm-hmm. And how is that a, a sort of a pattern, mm-hmm. a way of being? Oh my gosh, that's what we did in our family. Mm-hmm. I mean. Anytime somebody had something, you rushed over, you hugged, you held Mm -hmm. them, said it's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And so now realizing, oh, that may not be the way to do it. There are other ways to do it. I remember one person in that debrief section saying, I feel so stressed when someone starts to cry. Mm -hmm. It's like all they could do to not just want to leave the room. Yeah. And... um, it, that was a really interesting growing place for her mm-hmm. at that point in time. So we all had an opportunity to be able to step back and observe ourselves in what it was like to just be, just to be. Yes. I well, mean, and there's so few listening environments where there is a kind, any kind of a discipline imposed on those listening environments. So we don't really listen well to one another. No. Uh, is that basically what happens? So, uh, um, so just as you um, said that, um, Sharon, it seems, and you said no, so few listening in uh, environments were actually opened in this space mm-hmm. to being able to be and be present and have something profound happen. Mm-hmm. And we may not have known really how to listen when we walked in the room. I mean, we just showed up, mm-hmm. but because of the architecture of the group, we were able to bring forth something in us that we had no idea about. This, to me, is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and because it's experiential, the person knows it wasn't in their head. They didn't read about it. They experienced it. They experienced listening and being heard. And I said, so do you see that you can actually do this? Mm-hmm. Now, you may not do this very well unless there is an architecture in place, but you could begin to practice this. Well, and when people are talking in a group setting, generally our listening process is um, much more what am I thinking I'm going to say next Mm -hmm. than um, leaving them to complete their thoughts and then having to ask questions later on that helped them to even go deeper into what they are mm-hmm. thinking. So it was a, a just a, a learning 
um, experience for me as well as for all the people who were in it. What I began to see, because we've been in ministry all of, well, it's 58, oh, 58 years of marriage. Oh, this happened, what, 15 years ago, started mm-hmm. happening 15 years ago, was that um, um, we needed to to frame environments where people could um, express themselves deeply and completely, and the listening group was one way of doing that, where they could then take responsibility for their own growth. And that's the brilliance of this, is that the questions we have, we really know the answers to, but we just need someone to to encourage us to get to it, get to those answers. And so what happens when we rush in with advice, et cetera, et cetera, although it may be good and it may be welcome, if we haven't done the work of being questioned and being encouraged to say more and to go deeper in our responses, we may not come up with our own solutions mm-hmm. that are there. They're in the deeper intelligence. There's a whole book on this. Yes. So they are in our deeper intelligence. And the great respect that it, in, it begins to um, evolve after you've gone through so many listening groups is that we do know what those answers are. And um, so, consequently, I saw people who had raging neuroses, what I would, as a layperson, define yes. as raging neuroses, come to terms with the meaning of that and and change it yeah. within a seven-month yeah. period. What it, In therapy, I am told, when you reach a point of truth about yourself, it takes six months at least to um, integrate that into your living. So we're seeing this rapidity in many, many places. And I'm thinking, okay, what the heck is this all about? <laughs> well, I have a friend who is a neurosurgeon who pops into our life from time to time. He's a brilliant man. And so he was, uh, they live in um, Chattanooga, Chattanooga, Tennessee. And he, come to, he comes to Chicago for medical conferences. And so we would always go out for dinner with him. I just loved the guy because he was just a real intellect, you know. <laughs> so he said to me, have you read the studies on, I was talking about the listening groups. Have you read, read the studies on... Um, the terrorist, um, IRA terrorist, terrorist in Ireland, and they did um, MRI. It was a it was a scientific study. They did MRI testing of their brain before they took them through this debriefing process, whatever it was, and however long it was. But when they were done, the places in the brain that showed distress or disturbance or showed up. On the on the screens were no longer there, and these people's behavior had changed. So I thought, oh, this is going to be an interesting journey. I began to read everything I could on what brain mm. science was discovering in relationship to the brain and its response to a listening process. And Daniel Siegel, of course, is mm. one of the great gurus in this area and has written about it. But there were a lot of others. Mm-hmm. And when we feel listened to, yes. When we feel deeply, deeply heard, and the, and the key is it's not just being listened to, it's being heard, knowing that you are heard, feeling heard, and knowing that you are understood, and feeling that you're understood. Those people don't even have to agree with us. We just need to know that they understand where we're coming from. Mm-hmm. The brain begins to do this extraordinary job yes. of healing itself. And in the listening process, the listener and the listening are changed. Are changed when I and it's through the eyes. That's why I I don't take notes when I'm in a listening group process because that takes my eyes away from the person. Although other people may be 
looking at them. But when you and I engage eye-wise, that synchronizes the brain so that there is synchronicity between you and between me. And that allows for a healing process to come about. Now, this is what the scientists say. There is um, a healing process that makes you feel well-being, well-being or at home, however you want to explain it, with yourself, you're integrated with yourself, with your immediate social environment, your family, mm-hmm. your closest friends, with the community in which you live, with the um, larger community like your nation and with the world at, at whole. You have uh, fallen in love with the, with the world. In Latin, this is called amor mundi, love for the world. Mm-hmm. What a Christian proposition oh, a, that yes, is, you yes. know? Yes. To love the world. God yes. so loved the world. We're supposed to be like Christ, Christ. you know? And, the, and yes. so we're in a church environment where we just talk all the time, <laughs> preaching from the pulpit, you know, yes. giving the word. It's the word. But we have not incorporated into it this extraordinary, powerful tool of listening. Now, when we go into silence, and we have fortunately that practice that's come through the centuries, silence of a variety of kinds, retreats or going away for months into the desert or whatever it is, um, there is a listening process that begins certainly between ourselves and God and ourselves and ourselves. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's a really good thing. But now we need to learn how to get it beyond those walls into a practice that is just done, just done because it's uh, not only spiritually good for us, it's psychologically healthy for us. It's emotionally uh, grounding. And science can't even watch the parts of our brain. Right. I mean, all this has happened in our lifetimes. This has happened and, in our I lifetimes. Mean, it's just an amazing thing. Although to intuitively, think about. people knew this as you mm-hmm. look back through oh, the Fenelon. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. But I mean, it's just such an amazing thing that that yeah, the the visuals yeah. of what the brain scans can show and all is is just crazy. So, Karen, we're we're using um, some of the the architecture mm-hmm. of the sequencing of, of silence and mm-hmm. listening and all uh, when we teach facilitators mm-hmm. as there well. Mm-hmm. And it is, it's unfortunately, that's the, that's the piece that I, that I want to spend a lot more days with. Cause if we just did retreats with, with our facilitator crowd and just did listening groups, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just this incredible experience that mm-hmm. I don't know how you get another way. Mm-hmm. And the other, the only place I, other place I had experienced it before I experienced it here, not exactly in the same format, but got to it was uh, what I was doing my master's degree in organization development. And they did something called a T group. Mm-hmm. And interestingly enough, the person that led our T group uh, stands for therapy group, but you do it in, inside of organizations of people that work together, which was a very weird place to do that. Um, there's a lot of reasons why they don't do that anymore. But uh, our group in that of that master's program was led by a Catholic nun. Mm-hmm. And she had used that architecture, mm-hmm. that structure of yeah. listening in that group and had us actually do a storyline mm-hmm. and gave us, you know, flip chart paper and we mapped out our stories a little bit and shared them with one another in our newly formed listening group. I mean, our newly formed um, uh, um, study groups um, that we were traveling through two and a half years 
with about 30 other individuals. And then we had these smaller groups of, I think it was seven. And um, those things have so profoundly changed just my being. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I just, I wish everyone had the opportunity to do this. And it's not like it's rocket science. It's it, it, it does take some skill. It's but a, it it's means what you have to get to out this, of the way. I yeah. mean, it, it yeah. is a, um, um, whether it's a preacher talking or a small group leader leading or a one on one, I, I, I have to make my presence known in that space in a way that just shuts down some of what that other person might be able to bring. And I think when we discovered that not everyone is a natural listening group leader, mm-hmm. um, my take on that was that the people who felt uncomfortable and not knowing how to follow, not knowing that they should just follow the architectures that because they didn't know what was happening. Well, you have to be able to say, I don't need to know what's happening. Mm-hmm. This is not, I'm just providing a place for something to happen. It's not my responsibility to make it happen. But that's the work of the Holy Spirit. And now, am I going to say he can't make it happen? No way I'm going to say that. Right. You know? No. Uh, so, so it's they, entering they mystery. Yeah, they have and, to learn to trust it. That's and right. so in, in our, if I can put it in a culture, in the evangelical culture mm-hmm. of which we've all been a part, um, mystery is not embraced easily. No. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, I mean, for for Christians to even imagine a small groupish looking thing that doesn't have any teaching or curriculum or a Bible or, study or a Bible study or <laughs> it feels rad, know, it, 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 I mean, it's like it, it almost sounds off the rails, yeah. right? I mean, it, it it could sound very dangerous to some people who who want some pretty clear. Well, and perhaps we need to emphasize more for for the listener who hasn't experienced that this is the work of the Holy Spirit. What we are doing is making room for the most neglected third of the Trinity, Trinity. Um, giving that person of the Trinity a place in which to function. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I guess I'm so comfortable with that because I'm older and, and, and really entered into a deep relationship with that part of the Trinity as an adult, um, that of course I know he's going to work. I, the interesting thing is people will come to me, you know, I used listening, informal yes, listening groups. I was the chair of the board of InterVarsity, the first woman chair with, so I would get all the guys, they were all midlife <laughs> together and just start asking them questions and listening to them talk. And it was an extraordinary thing for them because they were coming out of that culture, brilliant mm-hmm. in every way, master's degrees and, you know, PhDs from Harvard and Stanford, you, you name it. But to l- be able to just say the Holy Spirit will do his work and all I have to do is provide the environment. And then mm-hmm. I get to sit back and say, golly gee whiz, you know, <laughs> look what has happened. And particularly when you think that this is the way he's created, the brain was created by God to function. Mm-hmm. Extraordinary, isn't it? Just absolutely extraordinary. The gifts are there. Science really is our friend in these days because yes. it's affirming the things that Christian Christian practice has intuitively or by obedience acted out sometimes right. without knowing why. So that's, I guess, I need to remind myself to really emphasize that more. That, And I don't think I have emphasized that as much as I know it. Mm-hmm. Um, that this is a time when the Holy Spirit steps in and does the work we think only we can do, and He shows mm-hmm. us just how great He is yes. really at doing it. Well, I, I think that that is part of the joy 
mm-hmm. of of being present when things like that happen, and you realize that you just got to witness yeah. something extraordinary yeah. that raises our trust level in the Holy Spirit. And I think that when we're training new facilitators, they're so worried about needing to be right, yeah. and needing to do it, you know, needing to do it right. I should say, and um, and all and that we are actually, we, we use the phrase, we're suspending the normal course of conversation for something more profound to happen. Oh, that's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's an aspect of this high level of trust in the Holy Spirit. And when we, when we give people the, the listen to my life maps, mm-hmm. um, it gives them some, 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 things to ponder in between mm-hmm. to help stir some things up. So they've already been doing some self-reflection before they show up and then they can share anything they want off of their map. So it's, so it's almost like listen to my life could is, is just a wonderful on-ramp mm-hmm. to um, a lighter version of what listening groups is, but I wish everyone would continue to dive deeper and move into this. But what you're kind doing with the mapping well is you're involving the brain eye hand coordination. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's going to open up all kinds of stuff um, in the right environment as well. So I would not apologize about that. We weren't, but you know, it's not a lesser tool no. by any means. It's just a different way of doing. It's, you know, it's it's digging the in, the, in the in the same mind. Yeah, exactly. In, in right. a way, but yeah. yet to to not have the experience of listening. I wish everybody could experience listening mm-hmm. groups too. Just yes. saying that. Well, but, and they and and I think you know out of this conversation, it might be one of those uh, conversations that we talk about a little bit more and say how how could this be encouraged and. Uh, and really, yeah. and really, how happen. can we multiply the number of people who can facilitate listening groups out of our group of facilitators that we already already have? Is is mm-hmm. the question I've got in my brain, mm-hmm. um, in in the midst of that, because they would be primed and ready to do that after having some experience. But the um, I, I also recently I've always been intrigued about what would happen if we put "Listen to My Life" the visual life mapping tools into the hands of Bible journalers. And see what they would do with them. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the 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 people who understand that there's a connection between um, how they do art mm-hmm. and the scripture and how they meditate on it is th- is in a, there's an artistic expression with the it. The French teacher at Wheaton College is doing exactly that. Oh, with her our Bible. friend Sherry yeah, Abel. Sherry Abel. Mm-hmm. So I mean, she's on a big journey that way. I'd pull her on your broadcast. Oh, we should oh, get. Well, we, we we will. We will follow up on that. Sherry is wonderful. Uh, I I've, I want to add in that one of the other ways a listening group can unfold is by opening a portion of scripture in a lectio format and then going into the silence. Mm-hmm. And um, and um, Alice Freiling um, did a book called Seeking God Together. And I would really encourage uh, that for people who want to pull a group together because she gives a very good um, guideline uh, as well in that regard. There's mm. another interesting phenomenon that's a little bit off the topic, but... <clears throat> um, My daughter-in-law just got her doctorate in uh, adult education, so I get dragged into seminars where she thinks I'm going to be interested in something. This was on um, trauma-informed education. Mm. So you have kids in the education system who are coming out of trauma backgrounds or in trauma backgrounds now, 
And MRIs of this study group show that there are portions in their brain that just are not functioning because of the trauma. You'll have a, I saw, uh, there was a high school that's experimenting with us, and they did a video on the high school. So I saw a young girl, teenager, say, I know my math teacher is teaching us, and I can hear that she's saying things, but I can't understand what she's saying. So they discovered that kids who have trauma in their past or have trauma now, there's two things that need to be shifted that make a dramatic difference. And one is no punitive um, discipline because they've got enough of that in their lives. They don't need that. They need another way of being brought to uh, better behavior. And if they have one adult in their life, one adult in their life who is there for them, who listens to them, who's concerned about them, who they can get to, who they see maybe every day or every other day. It can be a teacher, it can be the janitor in the school, it doesn't matter who it is. If there's one adult in their life, the brain begins to heal itself. And in this school, all of these kids have gone on to secondary education, on to college. Mm. I mean, secondary, but they've gone to, uh, uh, on to college after their high school years. So this is extraordinary. And that in the MRI show after the experiment was over with the testing that they've that they were doing, that those parts of the brain have hurt, have healed themselves because they one adult in their life. Now, oh, think about one, that yes. one adult. Just extraordinary. It's it was an extraordinary thing. But again, that does have that listening component to it. Just amazing what tool, kind of a tool it is. Well, I have a feeling we could probably go on for a long time on this kind of topic, and we'll we'll come back to it again. So, um, but for now, Karen, thank you so much mm. for sharing time Lovely with us. Being here. And what rich conversation. Sybil? Yes. Um, I just think we're in a topic that is uh, connected to uh, something that we've talked about on another podcast, hospitality. It is really connected listening. The root word is audier. Hmm. And it means, audier means to obey. And when somebody says, did you hear me? Mm that aspect. And so the gift that we give to one another in listening increases our capacity and desire, I think, to obey the best part of ourselves and respond to God in ways that we just never even imagined. Yeah. So mm. that's my final line. Thank you so much, everyone. I am so grateful that you listened. And um, if you like this podcast, please share it. Um, we would appreciate that. Um, subscribe, rate, comment, all those things uh, to spread the word we would appreciate very much. And uh, we'll hopefully uh, you'll listen in next week because we'll have another great conversation then. Many blessings. Have you thought, I don't know myself anymore? Have you wondered, is there something more? Are you at a crossroads in life and asking, which way will lead me toward expressing more of who I am made to be? Are you looking for a way to understand the restlessness you feel inside? Are you seeking a deeper spiritual life and desire to rediscover who you are through God's eyes? If you've wondered any of these things before, you're ready for the life mapping experience of Listen to My Life. Go to onelifemaps.com to purchase your portfolio of visual life maps. While you're there, check out our upcoming virtual coaching groups, live workshops, and options for you to facilitate the Listen to My Life experience with others. That's onelifemaps.com. O-N-E-L-I-F-E-M-A-P-S dot com.